0: Now, when I was a very little boy, I used to go with my mum to her women's Bible study. Now, I need to be careful with this story because my mum's actually here tonight, which she wasn't this morning. But we'll see how we go. I used to go to her women's Bible study. Now, I was only very small at the time, but I very distinctly remember the room that we would sit in at her friend's house. And I have a distinct memory of the jumper that mum would wear. Now, I'm sure she only wore it once, but in my memory, it was every week. It was bright blue, it was very woolly, but we can forgive her, it was the 90s. And I remember I would climb around all over my mum during the study. I'd run around behind her and I'd climb up her back and over her shoulder and I'd roll onto her lap. And I'd generally just be a distraction, while I had an absolute blast playing and wrestling while these women tried to study the Bible. Some of you here probably think, oh that's cute. But the parents in here are probably a little bit on edge as they imagine the frustration that must have caused my poor old mum. But if you're thinking it was cute, well, you're right, it was. (laughs) Now, let me ask you a question. If I did that behaviour now, would it still be cute? I'm hoping you don't think it would. In fact, I'm hoping that you would think it would be really strange if I, as a 25-year-old man... Behaved the same way I did when I was a little boy. You see, some things are meant to change as we change. You may have seen it in young children when all of a sudden that shirt or those shorts or that dress or those shoes or that blanket that they once loved so much is all of a sudden downright embarrassing. See, we actually have an inbuilt sense that the way we present ourselves should match our identity. Because for the most part, the way we present ourselves is actually a visible outworking of our inner identity. And if it's not, then something is wrong. For example, Tim is a Western Sydney Wanderers fan. If you put him into a Sydney FC jersey, he would be uncomfortable. Because his clothes wouldn't match his identity as a Western Sydney fan. But you know, Western Sydney have only been around for a few years so i'm guessing at some point a change occurred in tim's life where he changed who he supported and he became a western sydney fan at that point when he became a western sydney fan his supporter jersey changed you won't catch him in the jersey of his old club anymore you see for him it was out with the old and in with the new In our series so far in Colossians, we've already seen so much. In many ways, it would be just too hard to summarize all the things that we've talked about, but we could almost summarize the first two chapters by looking again at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, which says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. In other words, in the first two chapters, Paul's desire has been that the church in Colossae, and you and I, might be built up in Jesus, that their faith might remain in Jesus, that they might know who he is, what he's done, and how they are really saved. And now with one little word, at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul shifts the focus of his letter. Did you catch it there? So, in the first two chapters, Paul has laid the foundations of the knowledge and belief upon which the Colossians are to build their faith, and now he turns to more practical matters, how they might live out that belief. What they believe is to shape how they live. And so here, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, Paul begins by telling the Colossians, in short, out with the old, in with the new. Out with the old, sinful identity, and all the ways that presents itself. And in with the new, Christ-centered identity, and all the ways that will present itself. And today, we're going to break down this section of Colossians into three chunks. First, verses 1 to 4, where Paul will show us why we have a new identity. Second, verses 5 to 14, where Paul shows us what the old identity and the new identity actually look like. And third, verses 15 to 17, where Paul shows us how the new identity will play out in community. So first, why we have a new identity. Let's look again at verses 1 to 4. It says this, So if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not what is on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. The new identity of the Colossians is found in Christ. And just for interest, if you were to look back at Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, you would see that Paul has already noted this new identity in Christ. He doesn't refer to the recipients of his letter simply as the Colossians. They are the faithful brothers in Christ, in Colossae. But what's interesting to note is how Paul explains the reason for this new identity in chapter 3. Look again closely and you'll see that he has mentioned Christ's death. In verse 3 his resurrection in verse 1 that he is seated on the throne in heaven in verse 1 and that he will return again in glory in verse 4 the new christian identity exists because the colossians are bound to jesus in his death resurrection his place in heaven and his return the colossians are united to jesus and their identity is rooted in the gospel Paul turns first to the resurrection as the source of the new identity, from verse 1. So, if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. If you trust in Jesus, if Jesus is your King, if you are a Christian, when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose with Him. Paul is not speaking here about a future promise of resurrection. He's talking about something that the Colossians and you, if you trust in Jesus, have already been given. And so if the Colossians are united with Jesus in his resurrection, then they're also united to him where he is now, seated in heaven. So the true home of the Christian is not here It's where Jesus is, in heaven. That is our true home, and that is why Paul urges the Colossians to seek what is above. He's saying, set your mind on that which makes heaven so good. Spending time with the Lord Jesus, the one who we love and who loves us, and all the good things that come from being where he is. Paul's instruction is to let the things above shape their lives Behaviors, attitudes, and the world. Isn't that what Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In verses 2 and 3, Paul now moves to Jesus' death as the source of the new identity. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. There are good things in this life, things to be enjoyed, gifts from God, but none of them compare to what we have in Christ. See, Christians are united to Jesus in his resurrection, but also in his death. In fact, our lives are now hidden in Christ, in his death. So, what does that mean to be hidden? in Christ. You may have heard of a guy called Polycarp. He died in the year 155 AD, roughly 120 years after Jesus' death. And he was a faithful saint of God, and he was a leader in the early church. And during a time of great persecution in the early church, Polycarp was hauled into a Roman arena, the kind of arena where gladiators fight, and Christians are killed by wild animals for the amusement of the Romans. At 86 years old, in a time where health care was non-existent and the average life expectancy was much lower than it is now, Polycarp was frail. He was given an opportunity to deny Jesus and be released. He refused. He was threatened to have wild beasts unleashed upon him. And again... He refused to deny Jesus. Finally, he was threatened with fire. And one last time, he refused. And I love the quote that Polycarp said as he stood facing his own death. He said, Eighty and six years I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? How can a Christian stand before the threat of death in such a horrible way with an opportunity to escape and yet stand firm? Because Polycarp understood that his life was hidden in Christ. What does it mean to be hidden in Christ? It means that you are secure in Christ. Your eternity is secure in Christ. Nothing can take you away from Him or Him from you. If you belong to Christ, then anything else comes into perspective under that. It's useless to threaten a Christian who is secure in Jesus with death because their life cannot be taken from them. Though they may die here and now, they live with Jesus in heaven. And that is guaranteed because we are united to Christ who sits in heaven now. That's why the church continues to grow even in places where the threat of death is very real. (coughs) That's why Christians in China and the Middle East can stand up for Jesus, knowing that it may mean the loss of their earthly life. If your identity is in Christ, your life is hidden with Him. Your life is secure in Him. In verse 4, Paul now moves to Jesus' return as the source of our new identity. When the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Because Christians are in Christ, his return will be incredible. But when he returns in all his glory and his majesty, because we are in him, we too will be transformed and perfected just as he is. We too will be in Glory. Everything that harms us and ruins us will be gone. All the sufferings and horrible things in this world and in our nature will be gone forever. Our identity in Christ means that we will be in glory with Him by nothing that we do. It's all done by Christ. You don't have to get your life right first. And so, Christians can wait for Jesus' return knowing with all confidence and assurance that we will be like Him when He comes back. We don't fear His return. And so we can wait with our minds fixed on the things above, seeking to live God's way in this world before us because we are united to Christ in His death, His resurrection, His place in heaven and His returning glory. Our identity is And our behaviours and our lives are grounded in Jesus. Why do we have a new identity? We have a new identity because we are united to Christ. People often say that when they became a Christian, they welcomed Jesus into their heart. In actual fact, Paul says here, he welcomed you into his. So point two, what does the new identity look like? What is the uniform of this? Thank you, my friend. Cheers. What is the uniform of this new identity? How do we know what it looks like to have the old identity or the new? What is the team jersey? It's to these questions that Paul moves in the second section of the passage, verses 5 to 14. He says, Therefore, Put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. Here we appear to come to a grinding halt. How can it be that at the end of chapter 2, Paul has strongly urged the Colossians that rules and regulations are from 2.23 not of any value against fleshly indulgence? And yet, it appears here that Paul gives us a list of regulations, and effectively says, follow them, or God is coming to judge you. The answer, again, is the word at the beginning of verse 5. Therefore, these apparent rules and regulations of verses 5 to 10, they're actually just instructions on what it should look like to live with the new identity that we have already been given. They don't give us a new identity, they flow out from the new identity that's already been given by Christ. Imagine if I went down to Mount Druitt police station and I strolled in wearing a police uniform. Does that make me a police officer? Of course not, in fact I'd probably be arrested So what's different about the other people in that building who are wearing the exact same uniform? The difference is that their uniform is an outworking of their identity. They are police officers, so they wear the uniform of police officers. Mine is an attempt to give myself a new identity. But that's not the way it works, that's backwards. So here, Paul's list is not what gives the Colossians a new identity, It's the removal of their old uniform. And in verses 12 to 15, he'll tell them to put on the new uniform that flows out from their new identity. In other words, he's simply telling them to be who they are, be who they now are, to express their new identity properly. You might have noticed that Paul gives the Colossians two separate lists here of things to put to death to take off as part of the old uniform, their old identity. The first in verse 5. I don't think this is a complete list. In fact, I don't think Paul means it to be. You may notice that these are basically relating to sexual sins. Why has Paul chosen this as his first list? Perhaps it's simply because these are deeply ingrained, And as far as we are humanly concerned, they are almost irresistible forces. They represent the worst of human desires. And when Paul describes the coming judgment, it's not follow these rules or else God is coming to judge you. It's the world is messed up and that's why God has to do something. And thank God that he will if this list is what represents the desires of the human heart. The things in this list clash with what it means to be a Christian. They are incompatible. And we must put them to death. We need to identify these things in ourselves and in our brothers and sisters and keep each other accountable. We need to challenge one another in love. We need to continue coming back to God in confession and repentance. Not out of fear and not out of duty, but because we are united to Christ and we want to be who we are saved to be. In verses 8 to 10, Paul gives us the second list of things to take off. Now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. unfortunately or perhaps fortunately sometimes the sin of the heart can be concealed and hidden except as jesus says in matthew 12 the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart see the words we speak they tend to reveal our heart like the exhaust pipe on a car our lives can look nice and shiny but what comes out of the exhaust reveals what's going on inside and it's not pretty. You'll notice that this second list are verbal sins, sins that are revealed by the words we speak. We tend to take these things lightly as Christians. The words that I speak and the words that I hear other Christians speak, they often don't fit with the new identity. But Paul doesn't threaten. He doesn't say, don't do these things or you'll be judged. He simply says, that is not who you are anymore. Now, if you do struggle with this, then the end of verse 10 should be a great encouragement. It's actually God. He's the one who's doing the work in you to make you more like Him. We just need to seek to live out our new identity. And Paul now zooms in on the new identity and he tells us what it will look like. He's told us the uniform to take off. Now he describes the uniform to put on from verse 11. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. The first part of living out the new identity is to live it out together with all kinds of different people. In the same way that Christ cuts through the old self and gives you a new identity, so he also cuts through the other things that divide human beings. The community of those with the new identity does not discriminate based on race or culture or gender or social status. We are bound to one another in Christ. In fact, how does, then, how does Paul then go on to describe the community of Christians, the community in Colossae? Chosen ones, holy, loved chosen by God for adoption into his family, set apart to belong to him, loved so much by God that he gave his own son to die in their place. This is what defines the community of those with the new identity. But to live in such a community is not easy. A church community of people who otherwise may have nothing in common, who may otherwise not even get along. And so Paul describes the uniform of the new identity, the things to put on, the way to live out this new identity amongst one another. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You might have noticed that these are also described in Galatians as the fruit of the Spirit, that which comes from being found in Christ. These are the things that characterize the way Jesus related to people, right? That's why he was so attractive to the sinner, to the tax collector, to the prostitute. Living this way in the Christian community will not always be easy and will not always get it right. But just imagine the witness to the world if the Christian community were always like this. So different to the world around us. It's a glorious picture, right? Paul now ties up this section with three challenges. One, accept one another or bear with one another, as the NIV says. There will always be members of our community who require great patience. But remember that you will also have that effect on other people too. This is an act of will to put on the new clothes of the new identity Show patience, bear with one another, accept one another. Two, forgive one another. But we don't do it out of duty. We do it because we have already been forgiven. I don't want to presume that I know better than God. If he can forgive us, so we should forgive others. And three, love one another real and deep, costly, painful at times, love. That's how a community like ours, of people who should have no other reason to be in community, exists. Love. And it's that love which will bear witness to the world. Do we love those in the community around us? Who are the people here that we struggle to love? How might we love each other better? Finally, Paul closes out this section by giving us a rich picture of how the new identity will play out in community when Christ is at the centre. There are three relationships on view in verses 15 to 17. When the community of believers live according to their new identity, when the church lives according to their new identity, it will shape their relationships with one another. We've already noted that it's difficult for people to exist in community together, even Christians. But when love is at the heart of our relationships, as Paul has just urged, it will result in peace. Yes, we will still have disagreements. But the deciding factor, the thing that makes the call on a disagreement, like an umpire, must be the peace of Christ. Any disagreements we faced amongst ourselves we must allow the fact of our unity in Christ to settle the issue in our hearts. Now, this is certainly no easy thing to put aside our pride and our hurt for the sake of unity and peace. But praise God that He is the one who does the work in us. In our relationships with one another, we are also to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom with love and peace as the foundation as we remind our brothers and sisters about Jesus and we continue to encourage one another to live for Him, to be built up and not give up. When the community of believers live according to their new identity, it will also shape their relationships with God. As God speaks to us and as we speak to Him, We are to let the message of the Messiah dwell richly among us. That is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That which gives us our new identity, revealed to us in the Bible, must dwell among us richly. That means God's word is to be at the heart of all that we do. As we teach and we hear sermons, as we gather together in small groups, as we pray, as we fellowship. The core characteristic of our relationship with God and one another is that His Word is to be at the center. And finally, as we respond to God, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to Him, we are to respond to God in joy and thankfulness as we wholeheartedly engage with Him in recognition of how he has saved us and made us new in Christ. What an incredible picture is painted for us of the community of God living according to their new identities in Christ. I know that I struggle and will always struggle to put on the clothes of the new identity. That is the result of sin in the world and sin still in my life. But nonetheless, if you believe in Jesus and if He has forgiven you, then you have this new identity. Is your desire to live it out? Is your desire to be who you were made to be? Pray that God would help you to do that. Because this sounds like the kind of person I want to be and the kind of person that I want to be around. Praise God that in Jesus we have been given A new identity. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us a new identity in Christ. May our desire be to live out that new identity in our character, in our actions, and in our relationships with one another and with you. Bring us closer to you each day. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. As Christians, we don't want to just listen to the word. We want to do what it says. Um, Just take a couple of minutes now just to uh, take.